Why, hello there! Welcome to the fourth episode of Let's Help Regional Theater. Before we start, make sure to check out our GoFundMe linked in our podcast bio, and please donate if you can. Also, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram under the username at let's underscore help underscore regional theater for updates on who we're interviewing and when you can expect new episodes. Today, we're speaking with Scott Silberstein, co-founder and executive producer of 26-time Emmy Award-winning HMS Media and artistic, artistic associate at Looking Glass Theater Company. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Total pleasure. Glad to be here. Thank you, guys. Um, let's get started on our first segment with the 60-second summary. We hear you've prepared this. Um, you have one minute to describe how you got to where you currently are professionally. What are some career highlights? All right, heads up. I will probably go a little over a minute, but here's the, here's the highlights. So, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, home of two of the oldest performing arts organizations in the country, Cincinnati Opera, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, and also the place that graced the world with Jerry Springer. Went to St. Xavier High School, which produced both Hamilton choreographer and bandstand director Andy Blankenbuehler and presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got a psychology degree from the University of Pennsylvania, which was founded by Benjamin Franklin on the one hand, but also graduated Donald Trump on the other. Yeah. I'm a classically trained pianist at the Baldwin Piano Pathways and Masterclass program, where I won the Jose Iturbi Scholarship and a certificate from London's Guildhall School of Music. I went to Camp Nebagaman, whose alums include my dear friend, mentor, and my dad's summer camp counselor, Broadway legend John Kander, who wrote Cabaret in Chicago and New York, New York, um, and uh, also produced Matt Hoffman, my best friend at summer camp and my co-founder and business partner at HMS. And it was with him and another summer camp best friend, John Meyer, the H and the M of HMS, that I first dove headfirst into collaborating to make music and video. So add those experiences up, you get what HMS is. Uh, we're a production company that creates broadcast and streaming content. Uh, and you get what HMS does, which is produce work for, with, and about the arts and social issues, um, including commissioned work for regional performing arts companies, Broadway shows and national tours, and a body of shows about the arts and social issues that have received very humbly, uh, 26 Emmy Awards and 41 nominations. And in doing all that work, I, come, I came to understand that being an artist means I can do all kinds of work, which led to an invitation to become an artistic associate at Looking Glass. And that being an artist also means I'm an advocate, if not an activist, which led me to become a board member of Arts Alliance Illinois. Nice. That's me and probably closer to 90 seconds, but I hope that does the trick. Totally agree. <laughs> wow. I love seeing Joni's face. You kept naming all these legends. Like, Joni going, oh my God. It just keeps going. It's, uh, it's a very lucky life that I'm, yeah. I'm leading. But I think it also speaks to the very communal and connected nature of, mm -hmm. of the people that we work with. You know, if, mm -hmm. if people, and I think this is especially um, a Chicago slash Midwest thing. You know, I mentioned, you know, mentioned John Kander. He's a Kansas City guy. Yeah. You know, and, and, and just sort of uh, um, flows with that Midwest ethic mm -hmm. about, you know, if someone knocks on your door and want, wants to talk, let's sit down and let's let's talk. So I think it, it speaks more about the community than, than anything about me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you co-founded your your production company, HMS Media, with Matt Hoffman in mm -hmm. 1988. You spoke yeah. a little bit about this already, but uh, can you talk a little bit about what the company does and what went into creating it? Um, at a very young age, the universe tapped me on the shoulder and said, you gotta, you gotta go do the arts. Um, at five years old, I yeah. knew that's what it was. And if, if, if you or anyone listening has seen the X-Men movies and knows that like Professor X puts on that helmet and is kind of aware of all the mutants in the world, 
that's kind of what it was like. I was aware that I was a mutant and needed to find a whole bunch, and I didn't know who they were. So I felt, again, at this very young age, at five, six years old, I knew I had to go find people, that they weren't around me right now. And so eventually when those people showed up, I felt like I had a certain, a pretty decent radar of who those were. And Matt Hoffman was really the first of those when I was 13 at Camp Nevagamon. And the idea was just hang with the people that make you feel like yourself and drive you on to, to greater things. He was also a, a, a trained musician. I was a classical, classically trained musician. He was a jazz trained musician. Um, and we, through our shared love of music and our interest in video, we wound up um, producing our first show together at, at camp. And this was kind of not a small, I mean, it's, listen, it was eight, an eight week summer camp. It was not, it was not interlocking. You know, oh, it was, yeah. it was, you know, it was, it was like meatballs without Bill Murray and girls <laughs> is what it was. And so we, 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 in between sailing, hiking, canoeing and everything, we did this Beatles tribute show oh where he was Ringo and I was John oh and, and made a little eight millimeter movie. He had his dad's eight millimeter movie camera with him back when all there was, was film <laughs> and edited right in camera, this little parody of help in a hard day's night. And it became this oddly became kind of this legendary thing that happened. We did two summers in a row at camp. And so when they wrote the camp history, this hundred year old, like this is one of the big summer camps in the country. And mm -hmm. They wrote the history of it. There was a chapter on the follies and it, the, the, the main stories in there were John Kander and us. Oh my so, God. so they wow. clearly took a big steep dive after they talked to Kander. <laughs> yeah. But what it was, was, you know, recognizing this is someone I love making work with. Mm -hmm. And when I met John Meyer at a different camp when we were counselors, this was someone else. Like I was going to, I didn't know what it was yet. It wasn't attached to particular outcomes, but I just knew these were these were guys I could make stuff with. And also, um, they made me um, feel okay being myself, mm -hmm. because that's a weird thing in the arts, I think. Yeah. You know, you start feeling kind of alone, Definitely. and then you find your, hopefully find your people, and you, you stick with them. You know, find people who have talents you don't, and know things you don't, and will challenge you, and support you, and, and, um, and see what happens. And so ultimately, we all wound up on the East Coast, it, uh, at our three various colleges, I was at University of Pennsylvania, John was at Harvard, Matt was at Syracuse. We kind of triangulated for those years, did a lot of work together, made videos. And then um, uh, Matt and I decided we would do HMS. John, you know, went on a, a tragically unimpressive career. He's now the general counsel for the Department of Homeland Security. Well, <laughs> it's a picture of those when Matt was visiting him right down there. Yeah. There's John and Matt. Um, uh, and so came here and uh, thinking I was going to be a musician and writer and then wound up realizing if Matt and I were going to do things together in this town, it was going to probably be more through the lens, a little bit through music, but through the lens of video. And so I made sure we just stayed as in, in the arts and social issues as much as possible that would also let me do creative work. Yeah. So that was a lot of work with dance companies, which led to a lot of work with theater companies. And every time we established one of those relationships, we would kind of heighten it into a broadcast project or broadcast series. And that's really been the model all along. And then through those experiences, you get introduced to Broadway people or you get introduced to, you know, national tours or so it's it's been a, a very organic progression that had nothing to do with advertising or marketing or as, as much as we've come to appreciate the necessity of those. It's all been relationship based and it all started just because we knocked on some doors beginning with John Canders and just saying you wrote for the Camp Follies. We wrote for the Camp Follies. Could we meet you? And he said, send me, sure, send me a tape of everything you're working on, wow. which I took literally and I sent him a tape of everything we're working on. <laughs> and bless him. I mean, this guy at this point had already, was already, you know, if there was a Broadway Hall of Fame, he's in it. 
listened to everything and invited us to sit down with him. And, and he's been kind of like my God uncle for 40 years. And when, when you get mentored by someone like that, not only of that standing, but of that, um, that level of decency and integrity, you can't do better than that. He really helped establish a lot of the philosophies and the ideas of what it means to work with people and yeah. make work together and know how to fail and know how to not know stuff because mm -hmm. most of what we do involves failure and not knowing so yeah. you know to learn how to do that joyfully is what I learned from from candor from you know everyone in the Chicago dance world from you know when Chicago Shakespeare Theater became the first theater company that hired us again you know taken under Barbara Gaines's wing you can't, you're not going to do much better than that. And then to go over at Steppenwolf and to, to learn stuff from, from Jeff Perry and Terry Kinney and Gary Sinise mm -hmm. and, then, and then get to make broadcast specials around all of those guys. Um, it's just, you know, it's like, it's like I, I, never, I never had to stop going to school. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think that's what's so cool and special about the arts and especially theater is the connections and the people that you meet. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, if you think about just me and Joey doing this podcast, being able to meet you or being able to meet... Uh, all the other theater professionals that we've been uh, so lucky to talk to. Um, and the, we're grateful for it, you know, yeah. because it's not, you know, um, whatever our disparate ages and relative experience levels, you know, I'm, I'm the lucky one here. You guys want to explore this stuff and you, you want to spend time with me doing it. Yeah. You know, you, I think this is also a, a real something that I don't think is exclusive to Chicago, but I think maybe it exists throughout a lot of the not-for-profit regional theater world or regional performing arts worlds but you know it's it's a pleasure i mean i'm going to learn stuff from you guys in the course of this and i know i'm answering a lot of the questions but i'm yeah. going to learn by the questions you're asking mm -hmm. and um you know that's a that's impressed me since day one of getting to chicago what this what this community not only allows but encourages and yeah. kind of requires you know you to to be thoughtful and embracing and communicative it's it's an amazing place to work yeah, yeah. Chicago is wonderful yeah my parents like to say my parents who are also in the theater industry like to say that there's you know only about 12 people in the Chicago theater industry so like <laughs> whoever you speak to they're going to know someone that you know that you can go talk to and gain experience from and like it's just gonna it's a big circle it can like, sometimes feel that yeah it can feel that intimate and then you realize you know we have um, you know, uh, it's a bit fewer now post COVID, but you know, we still have close to 200 theater companies. Yes. So yeah. it can feel like 12 people when it's clearly thousands, but it's yeah. the intimacy of that and the willingness, generally speaking, there's some outliers, but generally speaking, we like to connect, you know, we, yeah. and we, we recognize we're nothing without other people. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Um, you're an artistic associate at Looking Glass Theater Company and have been since 2005, which is a little unique for your company because HMS is a for hire a production company. Um, so when did your professional relationship with Looking Glass start and how has it developed since then? Uh, I became aware of Looking Glass very early on in its life because one of the first freelance gigs that I had here was doing some setup shoots for uh, a show that Looking Glass did, their, I think, second show um, called Of One Blood that Andy White wrote. Yep. Um, it featured a lot of their ensemble, including uh, David Schwimmer. Mm -hmm. And being in that room was my introduction really to, to what it was like to watch Chicago theater people uh, work. Uh, and honestly, I can't remember which came first, if it was that or a shoot we did at Northlight with Mike Nussbaum. But I mean, again, you're not going to, it's hard to come up with a better start than that. Exactly. And there was just this really special vibe in the room with Looking Glass. And I had no 
business having this desire to be part of that company. But it always felt to me like, I think those are kind of also my people. So I saw not all, but a lot of their shows over the years. And then when when the company moved into the new building, uh, the new theater um, in the, the, the castle in the Water Tower Waterworks on Michigan Avenue, we were brought in to shoot the, um, the press footage, the B-roll um, scenes. And Schwimmer was there, uh, nervous. There was not a lot of time because he's not only opening a new show, it was really heightened on every level with the new theater. Yeah. And I remember going up to him and saying, listen, I, I can imagine this is sort of disruptive. I, I hope we're not screwing up the day too much with this. And he's like, well, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> and then he immediately winced and was like, I didn't, I didn't mean like that, just boy, we're really tight. And I said, well, you know, no one here knows television better than you and I know my career let's, let's you and I let's just make this just the swiftest coolest B-roll call ever mm-hmm. and the two hours set aside for it we finished all the work in about 40 minutes Whoa. and it just everything clicked and so I said you know I don't want to I don't I want to ask you something and then I please don't think about it unless it comes up again when you're done opening the show but I think there's a cool PBS project here I think what you've done is gorgeous and if it occurs to you after you've opened it, I'd love to talk to you about that. And so about a month or so later, my phone rang and it was Schwimmer. And he said, let's let's spend a weekend doing a capture of this. Let's figure out how to do it. So over the course of a weekend, we shot three performances with different camera configuration. We only had two cameras for it. It was a tiny little thing. So we did it almost, it was live, but almost film style in that all six of these shots were required throughout the show to work. And it cut together seamlessly. And... Um, that went so well that one of the cast members in there, Andy White, uh, invited us to come in and, and video design his adaptation of 1984, which was thrilling and, and amazing to do, especially doing it in 2004 in a presidential election where uh, George Bush said, literally said, when you're talking about war, you're talking about peace. And we went, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. he's doing 1984. Um, so it was, it was thrilling. And I'll never forget the, the closing night, Larry DeStasi made a little speech and said, you know, we got to do this show in this time every night. And we never had to worry when we walked to our cars at night. Yeah. Like this is, this is an amazing life in an amazing city. Um, um, and my- from there, from there, I got to, I got invited in. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My dad was Winston in that production. Your dad is Tom? Sure, it sure is. <laughs> yep. Are you kidding me? Nope. Wow. Yeah. How did I, I didn't, how did I not put that together? How did I not I put that together? Like it is to so nice to you. finally meet you in person. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cause I've, I've been following your, the life that has been celebrated by your parents on Facebook. Uh-huh. And I'm like, why does this person look so familiar to me? That's why. I have, oh my gosh. Yes. Your dad's amazing. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yes, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, then you know the incredible family atmosphere that is also it's exhilarating and really hard and and beautiful and um, yeah that that project. I mean, I mean Tom is just he, he leaves nothing behind on stage. It's extraordinary to watch. He shaved his head for that. He shaved it. Well, everybody did. Everybody did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, including Andy and Phil. I got there too late. I, by the time I got there, everyone's head was shaved. I'm like, wow, this is. I missed the head shaving. That would, have been, that would have been a fun way to collaborate. That was a game changer, and it was an extraordinary show. Mm-hmm. And to to have the company recognize that I could bring something artistic, and that I that I collaboratively, and and kind of philosophically jived with them was, that was amazing. To get the call that I've been invited to join the company. I mean, it really felt like like if I'd been sitting in the sitting in in Soldier Field and wanting to play keyboards for you too, like. It's not that I hadn't studied classical piano. It's not that I can't handle stuff, but 
to be asked to join you too. That's what this felt like when these guys called and said, you're, you're in if you want to be in. I'm like, sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I have to say you guys, you, you guys just produced, uh, Looking Glass Alice. Yes. Uh, I watched, I watched it and it was a wonderful production to be able to watch. I had never seen Looking Glass Alice, but to be able to kind of experience it like I would experience in the theater with the live audience and, and the actors, uh, giving a most stellar performance. Um, it it was, that was really cool to see that like. This live theater is also like on my TV right now, which was uh, kind of cool. Uh, it's a new era, of yeah. Theater. You know, Ben Cameron, who's a fantastic arts advocate, has run some some uh, really important foundations funding the arts. Talks about this really COVID heralding in the essential idea that stage and screen is now a both and proposition as opposed to an either or. Yes. And I agree completely. I don't want one to replace the other. I I'm determined that HMS will have a, 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 an important role because I think we owe it. We have, we have the, I think we have the skills and we have the relationships to help, not, not, certainly it's not going to be just us, but I, I hope help establish this kind of cyclonic ecosystem where s- screen drives you to stage, which makes you want to go back to screen for more ideas to get to stage. And, and I don't think every show, every full-length show should be a full-length broadcast special. Alice yeah. made a lot of sense when we did the Q Brothers Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. which was presented as Christmas Carol the Remix. Um, you know, we've done shows like that that are full-out performance, but I also think that there's ways to do with screens only that which screens can do. I mean, we can essentially violate the time-space continuum. Show you a, you know, like we did with Second City, show you a, a four-month process of making a Second City show in, you know, 90 minutes. And, and let you see how it's done because you'd never be able to go behind the scenes and, and see that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, or once in a lifetime kind of performance, even if it's a, there's a performance quality to it, you know, only, only 3,000 people could go to Chicago Voices to see Renee Fleming and Kurt Elling and Jesse Mueller and, and all that. So there's that aspect to it. And then there's also, you know, we did a show last year called, um, it was a show live from the Harris Theater, um, Adrian Dunn's Emancipation. And so Adrian did this incredible two and a half hour concert that fused classical and gospel and hip hop and really kind of every form through this very specific lens of, uh, you know, through Adrian's lens, you know, and, and for him to be able to say, look, I'm a, I'm, I'm a black queer musician who's classically trained and loves hip hop and gospel. I belong nowhere. How do we? How do I find a way to kind of belong everywhere? And so to be able to not just put the concert up there, but to interview Adrian and just have the concert appear as if it's the soundtrack of his thoughts, mm-hmm. or his thoughts annotating the the concert. I mean, we can do a lot of things with that that I think will invite people back into theaters because mm-hmm. I get that we're more comfortable at home than we ever have been, mm-hmm. and I get that there's a lot of stuff to watch at home, but there's just something you're never gonna get otherwise unless you're in a room and if you want to do one or the other god bless <laughs> yeah. but i think both is the way to go right now yeah 100 so along with your emmy winning multimedia production company and your position at looking glass you're also a board member of arts alliance illinois a founding yeah. member of the broadway league's governance committee a publisher of the arts advocacy newsletter arts in action and a member of several local dance councils how do you balance all of the hats you wear and what drew you to being a part of all of it the balance is trickier since I became a husband and stepfather. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and 
but also um it's it's infused my life with both more perspective and more focus mm-hmm. i like being in rooms with people who want to make a difference and i like helping to make a difference and if i'm in the center of that in some way if that's the right thing to do i'm happy to be there but it's also made me realize that i you know time is increasingly precious so when you've got it how do you make it count how do you how do you get a result out of it so that we're not just in a room talking the most honest answer is I honestly don't know how to balance this stuff all the time because there's just, there's so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you learn by doing and then running out of time and having to reprioritize Mm -hmm. and you know, you learn by failing and even more than you learn by succeeding for a lot of those though. Again, this was all, all very relationship based. You know, I didn't really, I've always been interested in politics um, and the advocacy work around it. I didn't really know how you crack that until the League of Chicago Theaters hosted a night that says, meet Arts Alliance Illinois and find out what you can do to get involved. And then I, I found out that through the Alliance, how easy it was to to sit down with our elected representatives and and, and understand what the issues are that, that face the arts and that you could be at any age any level of experience, as long as you care, these people are actually accessible and you can make some differences. And it's not just about, we please, we need money for the National Endowment for the Arts, but it's how you make that argument and why. What are we asking for slash begging for, right? What are some of the other issues we can, we can talk about? I mean, and how do you convince people who think the arts aren't important that they in fact are? So it, it's, and I think this is where the arts and advocacy come really hand in hand. They're about narrative, Mm -hmm. right? They talk in the advocacy world, no data without stories, no stories without data, right? And you can see the hazards of that right now. We have one political party that's all stories with no data reality connected with them. And we have another one that I think where I tend to lean, I mean, I lean pretty hard left, but I will say, I think that we're, we're dealing with an awful lot of data, but we're not, we've somehow, we're not as good as we need to be in the storytelling aspect of it. How do we inspire and persuade as opposed to just say, there's the data, therefore we're right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a huge challenge that our sector is facing right now because we have data about what it was and what it is and what it is right now for the most part is worse than what it was circumstantially. And that's all true. How do we get people to care, to act and to understand that what we're offering is I think the solutions to a, a, a lot of these problems. So I think some of it, some of, I mean, to is a roundabout way of answering your question and I'm really good at roundabout answers, but it's, um, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's all conversations, it's all relationships and it's all, you know, taking certain chances and thinking maybe I can do more than I thought. And I think our lives in the arts are a lot about I'm here and I kind of like to be here. I don't even mean like, like literally, but I remember talking with, when we, when we did the First You Dream PBS special, which was a tribute to Candor and Ebb, it was this long desire that I finally could honor my, my dear pal and mentor with a PBS project. And we did a version of New York, New York that kind of blew people's minds because it's a ballad. It starts as a ballad. It doesn't hit, it's not the big blustery Sinatra version. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we kind of broke all this stuff down. And what, what John Candor was writing about was not celebrating 
a city that we could swagger during you know the seventh inning stretch at Yankee Stadium. It was a metaphor for I'm here, and I would really I really like to get somewhere else. And then you know, and and, and sometimes it's it's I, I out of this city, but sometimes it's maybe out of this place in my head. Mm-hmm. And you go back and you watch Kate Baldwin sing it, and you go, oh, that's what that song's about. So I think that's a lot of it to how to how to not feel how I feel right now or how to feel like I'm supposed to be connected to something else mm-hmm. so that you're ready to rise to that occasion, you know, and, and then the occasions in front of you. And then and now what do we do? And so the, I feel like artists are if you're an artist, you are an advocate. Mm-hmm. You are advocating for change. Right. Uh, you've, you've, I'm sure you've heard the looking glass phrase of we're going to want to leave our audiences changed, charged, and empowered. Yep. Right? Yep. Well, which of us in the arts doesn't want to experience that ourselves and leave other people that? We don't want it to be just an experience where you showed up and then, well, that was, that was nice. Yeah. We, you, we kind of all want everyone's molecules to be a little bit rearranged. And it's, you know, I imagine one of the reasons that you're doing the things you're doing right now, your molecules have been rearranged by this stuff, yes. right? And you feel this desire, right, to go from here to there or to be part of some other movement. And it's it's amazing you can actually do it. As screwed up as everything feels right now in many cases is, you know, our congress people on the our elected officials are within reach. And that's one of the things that I learned at the alliance to be able to sit down and then to be able to make the argument, right? You want more money for the NEA, why? Okay, um, and and because the arts are neat and important yeah. <laughs> or because I believe in them yeah. is not enough. And right. you don't answer Jan Schakowsky the same way that you would answer even another Democrat or, and I bring up Jan, she is my congressperson and she's an incredible supporter of the arts. Um, but, you know, when we sat down with Adam Kinzinger's office, you got to make a different argument, right? Yeah. And, and then even to be able to rebut, uh, I'll give you an obvious example, I think. Um, former President Trump um, didn't want to just take money away from all cultural uh, um, institutions in this country, wanted them wiped away. Um, now, leaving his personality aside, in fact, for the purposes of this argument, let's say he's the nicest guy in the world. And his argument is, I'm a brilliant businessman. I mean, this ultimately, I don't think was his real argument, but superficially it was, I'm a brilliant businessman. Everyone's going to win financially if you got me here. All right, fine. The National Endowment for the Arts, right now we're asking for around $200, $205 million. Okay, About a third of what Otani's going to get paid to play for the Dodgers, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And we're begging for it. 200 million police or maybe we have some more okay the the um the last time i saw this number researched um and COVID's thrown some of these numbers off the not-for-profit arts generated nine billion dollars wow. in federal tax revenue wow. all right that's a lot of money that's yeah. a 45 yeah. to 1 return on your money yeah right so the question for the brilliant businessman should not be elimination of this thing i mean 200 million dollars nobody that's financial, it's a rounding error in this budget. But $9 billion in? I mean, the question there should be, why aren't we putting $2 billion into yeah. the arts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the full sector is uh, the arts and culture sector in this country, for-profit and not-for-profit together, is bigger than manufacturing or transportation or warehouse. So what we're talking about bailing out the airlines because they're such an important part, 
of how, how our economy works and how our society works, the arts have a bigger impact. Oh, yeah. They're employing, employing more than 5 million people. A lot of our sector doesn't know that. So if we're just going like, please, the arts are important because I want to be an Annie in high school. <laughs> and I'm not diminishing because being an Annie, an Annie in high school could change everybody's life in that room. Yeah. But this matters to our country. So it's, it's, it's a chance to look at the arts as means and ends. We all know what this does to us. You know, yeah. uh, the, 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 uh, our souls, our spirit, our hearts, our minds, it's, it's our culture. It defines how we move through the world and it defines our legacy, but also how we impact education, how we impact the economy, healthcare, physical and mental, mm -hmm. and so on. It's technologically, it is essential. And if we don't do a better job narrating that story, nobody will. So that's, I think, what we had to, we had to, um, I think all of us need to address. It's one of the reasons I'm really grateful that we're talking like this mm -hmm. because it's, you guys are so important. Your generation, the two of you, obviously, but like all these generations are so yeah. important. You're, you know, you're, you're the next round of voters. Yeah. Yep. You're the ones people have to answer to. Yeah. I may be in a position to lead some of that stuff, but next time we go to DC or go down to Springfield, I would love for you to be in the room with us mm -hmm. because I want people to look you guys in the eye yeah, and yeah. realize this is what this stuff means. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to no, go but Politicians always say the kids of the future, yeah. you know, we need to help Do right them. By them. Do you believe them? That's a hard question. That is a loaded question. No, I, know, I think... But... I think the, is that is that shorthand for no? <laughs> that 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 is shorthand for that's what they say. Yeah. Do they actually care? No, because if they cared, yeah. they would like you're saying fund these arts. If they actually cared, you wouldn't you wouldn't hear Ron DeSantis saying he wants to cut the Department of Education. You know what I mean? It's, it's no, I do. A lot of that. I do. I think yeah. uh, it would be interesting for you guys to interview someone like Congresswoman Chikowsky, who yeah. you know who who has worked really hard on this. But even here in Evanston, I got I got into a bit of a, a email exchange with um, a colleague of mine who founded a not-for-profit that has to do with women in the arts. And, and I, I love what it's about. Um, but in an email exchange, she said, you know, my problem with the arts right now is all these people kind of whining about their needs. And, and, on, <laughs> and on the one hand, I, I superficially understand where some of this is coming from because sure. we do have to do a better job saying life is hard for us now and we're you know we're down audience members and we're down funding all that stuff's true mm -hmm. um we need to make sure we're framing it's our responsibility to frame that but she went on to say you know uh, um they're putting these putting the arts in such an urgent frame of mind when there are so many other issues out there. I mean, are the arts more important than climate change? No. Are they more important than social, than, than gun safety? No. Are they, and I, and I said, you know what, but I, I, my response has been to say that climate change and, and gun safety and child safety are more important than the arts is sort of like saying running and jumping and walking are more important than food. I don't get it. Yeah. You need one to fuel the other. And so I mentioned this to our mayor here in Evanston, Dan Biss. And Dan finished the argument for me. He said, I would argue that if we put a lot more money and time into the arts, we would solve all those other problems so much more quickly and easily because we will fuel collaborative, creative thinking that's necessary for all of these things. And if we don't fund the arts, that's a bellwether that you're not really interested in these other issues. So yeah. please, Dan Biss, run for president. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jan Schakowsky's on that line. There are people who do it, 
but it's going to be up to us if we have the time and the means and we have to make it to go propel them into that and give them the arguments because they don't always know and that's not always their fault they're like in the middle of everything happening in the world so what are we going to do yeah you exactly. know and that's that's what's exciting about about this conversation about what because you, you guys are doing it this is advocacy work right now what you guys are doing and for the record they just justifiably high-fived each other <laughs> and and they should because you know I don't really care how big your audience is. There may be just the one key person who hears this and says, really, I can write my congressperson? And who knows what that leads to? Um, it's really exciting. This is, this is exciting stuff. I think it's our responsibility to you know, empower this and say yes and to it. Thank, thank you. I don't care how many years I've been doing it. No one has quite done this. So We're thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank and you. no one's going to do it the way you do it. There are yeah. people yeah. who get out there and say things, but like where you are right now, I think says to the rest of us, wow, look, look at what, I mean, you guys are, I don't I probably shouldn't guess your ages, but 16, yeah? 16. Yeah. So 16-year-olds are saying we see something and we need to have conversations and we need to get the message out there. And here's the thing. I mean, at 16, your dad was feeling infused with all this, Jerry, right? Yeah. Right? And Looking Glass, I mean, those guys are all meeting up in their late teens. Matt and I and John, like I met Matt when I was 13, John when I was 16. We were convinced we were going to hang together and change the world a little bit. And you know what? We have hung together and a little bit a changed little the bit. world, yeah. right? Yeah. And I know it's just a few molecules, each of us, but we did it. Mm -hmm. And we're still doing it. So it, it's, it's not just that it's, you know, it's great that it's you. It has to be you. It's mm -hmm. essential that it's you because I'm going to turn 60 next month. I don't have as much time as you guys have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? You know, I mean, I got time. I'm youngish, healthy-ish, but I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I don't want to, I can't do all this on myself and it mm -hmm. can't just be people my age because the world's changing. I don't know the, I don't know enough about it. I need to learn that stuff from you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's me and Joey's goal. Is that's definitely our goal. When when we started this podcast, which originally was a school project, yes. it was okay. We're gonna get this grade. We're gonna, you know, do what we care about, and then you know. But I think really, this I, was an assignment, and you went, oh, oh, yes. oh but okay. I think what we both we we, we we always knew it was gonna be more than that. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, we, it's been modeled for you, right? Because yeah. how many people are at school doing shows and and you know thinking you know, this is what I want to do forever. Or, you know, Matt and I starting off playing, you know, banging around on a piano, recording things on a cassette and then figuring out how, I mean, you know, that you, you, when the universe taps you on the shoulder, best turn around and say, thanks and accept it. And like, yes. And the universe, however, exactly. yeah. however it can, because when that call comes, you really, it's really nice not to feel like you have to resist it. And I think that's where a lot of unhappiness in the world comes from because this Dan Biss is right. The keys to fixing a lot of our stuff are in the yes and collaborative ensemble oriented improvisational ethics of the performing arts. Yeah. And like the keys are here, yeah. right? The answers are here and we just need to find the right way to articulate uh, in a way that's going to matter. I mentioned Adam Kinzinger's office before, right? When the first time we were talking to, to that office, the assignment was, okay, you know, the, it's, it's the National Endowment for the Arts, education, and then whatever the third issue that we would come up with. We got pretty much shut down. I don't think we saw the congressman that time, but the staff wasn't that interested. 
okay, well, what are some of the things that we learn in theater and improvisation? You hear you, someone gives you a suggestion, mm-hmm. you yes and it. What was what was Congressman Kinziger really interested in? He's interested in veterans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So the next time we went down, one of the people on the team that I'm, I'm have the great um, privilege of being able to lead. We haven't got, we haven't been able to go back since COVID, but I was leading a team. Um, and they often send me to Republicans' office because I can talk about business because I run one, <laughs> right? Yep. Uh-huh. Um, and I and and I, uh, it's I like those challenging conversations, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so when we came in there, we were armed with a story that one of our team members could tell. Her husband had been a vet in Afghanistan and been physically and psychologically beat up. Yep. And she told this fabulous story about how he came back hurt inside and out but one day wanted to just get out of the house and basically said wherever you're going today will you please take me with you and she said well i'm going to a site visit for like an atonal string quartet i don't know how much this is going to calm you down just let me go and she described physically she described his posture you know shaking a little bit and nervous and hunched up at the shoulders and the music started playing and the shoulders dropped and he was peaceful and it, the he, a healing process happened right in front of them. Now tell that story to Adam Kinzinger and next thing you know, when a Wisconsin congressman introduces a resolution to eliminate the National Endowment for the Arts, Illinois, I don't know if we were the single one or we were one of two states, only two states where every single congressperson, no matter their political party, voted against that resolution to eliminate the NEA. So I'm so proud of the Arts Alliance team. Like that was that was having the right conversation as yeah. opposed to just what's wrong with you that you're not interested in the NEA? Yeah. Like that's going to accomplish anything. If you're alive, the arts have something for you. Yes. Let's just yes and them. Make it easy. Exactly. Show up, let them tell you who they are, and we will have something that will make them happy we showed up at their door. Yeah. And that's on that's on us because if we get mad at, at someone who said I'm not interested in talking to the NEA and then show up and they're not interested in talking to the NEA, if we go I can't believe they didn't want to talk about the NEA. They told us who they were. They told right. Us that. Yeah. You have to tell a story that that they want to hear, not the one that you want to tell. The story they want to hear, but also the story that is most likely to transform them. Exactly. Right. So yes, we'll talk veterans. I mean, it's the whole yes and thing. Yeah. Yes, we'll talk veterans. And yes. here's the story you didn't expect. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's the way Kelly Leonard talks about yes and on his getting to yes and podcast. Yeah. Right. And I, I know he didn't invent this language, but he codifies it nicely. You know, you agree and contribute so you can explore and heighten. And yeah. um, and that's what we do in theater, I think, even if it's just the silliest, you know, the silliest farce or the goofiest musical, something about that is communal and life-affirming. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Scott, unfortunately, we are uh, out of time today, but yes. thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, I can speak for both of us when we say, I love this discussion. Yeah. Being, being well, able you. to like, have a free-form discussion as opposed to question-answer, question-answer, mm-hmm. it feels like that's what's going to change the exactly. arts. And that's what we want to do. So I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Because the, the cool thing about this, you guys, is, is everyone can act. I mean, to really mm-hmm. act and improvise, to take these things out of the literal thing of what we all do, to act in the world, to make a noise in the world, to physically move through the world... I think these things are all possible and while COVID siloed us and I think we're all right now really reeling from how isolated we are institutionally and individually and we all need stuff and we're it's really a paramount importance to us I think that we convey what our needs are. I think what we have to do, really do now and I think what you guys are doing here is being able to say here's what we offer. 
and the, the, the riches that we have to offer the world, uh, most people still don't know about. Now, that's really frustrating on the one hand, but what an opportunity. So anyone, I would say, I mean, go to the Arts Alliance Illinois website, sign up. It's, it's pay what you can. Just, just you'll get news, the e-blasts. You'll see what the issues are. You'll, you'll have opportunities to commune with people. You know, get involved. And it really, I swear to you, I've been in these meetings. They make a difference. We've yeah. seen legislation get passed. The, the, the 150 or so million dollars of three separate initiatives that are helping funding, uh, um, you know, artists, the, the, um, or infrastructure programs like that happened because people like us knocked on doors. Yeah. and said make it happen so um anyone listening go to the alliance website go to whatever your 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 participation is gonna it's gonna matter i promise you yeah yeah thank you um and- thank you so thank you all so much for listening um remember to follow the podcast on instagram at let's underscore help underscore regional theater and donate to the gofundme um link to the podcast bio thank you so much for listening uh this has been let's help regional theater until next time